Well, good morning, New Hope. Good to be with you this Labor Day weekend. Well, the WPA, the Work Progress Administration, was instituted by Franklin Delano Roosevelt in the 1930s as a part of the New Deal to, to overcome the offset of the Great Depression. And it put millions of people back to work. It helped build a major infrastructure of our country that we still benefit from this day. From 1935 to 1943, it employed 8.5 million workers. And almost every community in the U.S. benefited from a new park, a bridge, or school that was constructed by that agency. One million streets, 10,000 bridges were constructed. This was a huge piece of dignity and purpose in the American psyche when individuals found hope and, and dignity in a time when there was so little work. Much of our Minneapolis park systems, many of our state park systems benefited from this national program. In fact, my wife's uh, grandpa, Bob Patterson, when he was 15, helped build one of the falls to the visitor center at Gooseberry Falls on the North Shore. He was a part of the CCC, Civilian Conservation Corps, part of this New Deal program. How fitting that we end our series on manufacturing on Labor Day weekend. Labor Day is a great day to celebrate work, to celebrate rest from work, and most of all, to celebrate the giver of work and all of life, God himself. In this series, Manufacturing, we've been, been looking at the story of Israel building the temple. And we said in the beginning, it takes a CEO. It takes God's plan. It takes a crowd, thousands upon thousands of workers, to construct the temple. It takes craftsmen with God-given skills. It takes a calendar, his timing of when to build the temple. And finally, it takes calling on God. It takes Above all else, our worship of the one true God. And so our big idea today is that our work finds completion and fulfillment when we work and live to worship. In order to do this, if you're taking notes, first point, we connect our work as worship. We connect our work as worship. In 1 Kings 8, we have the account of the temple finally being done. And King Solomon gathering all of Israel to pray, to dedicate the temple, and to offer sacrifices to God. How cool that all those craftsmen, Pastor Bill said 70,000 stone carriers, that they could all be there and say, I helped build this worship center. How cool that God loves to invite us in our work to be a part of his work. And this, in the beginning chapters of Genesis, in the opening of the Bible, in the first few chapters, we get a theology of work, that we are created in God's image. And the picture we get of God in the beginning of creation is he creates and cultivates. And he invites us to do that in our work. He invites us to do that in our life, to create and to cultivate with the gifts he had given us. And so we get this theology of work that is to glorify God and to advance the good of others. 
That's big, church. Theology is a holy endeavor. There's a theology of our work to glorify God and to advance the good of others. Just like the workers who designed and crafted Israel's temple, all of us can live out worship and our calling for God in the work that he has gifted for us to do. I love this quote from Martin Luther King Jr. If a man is called to be a street sweeper, he should sweep streets, even as Michelangelo painted, or Beethoven composed music, or Shakespeare wrote poetry. He should sweep streets so that all the hosts of heaven and earth pause to say, here lived a great street sweeper who did his job well. There's dignity in everything if we find our calling in what God has wired us to do. Work takes up a huge part of our lives, so it only makes sense that we find some purpose, some dignity, some redemption in our work. The problem is that in our culture, we, we compartmentalize, right? We say, well, this is the Lord's day, so this is holy, right? The rest of the week is secular work. God invites us in our work to be a part of his work. He invites all of our week to be holy. I loved Celtic Christianity. They, in, in Ireland, when, when, when Christianity took over, they would write daily prayers for all of their life, even going to the outhouse. Can you imagine that prayer? <laughs> well, God, I really love spending time with you, but let's keep this short, Okay. The point is, is that they were connecting the regular secular work with an invitation. God, be a part of my life. Be a, be a part of my day. Be a part of my work. What an invitation. What a way to live. To live as our work, as worship. In his book, Every Good Endeavor, Timothy Keller, pastor of Redeemer Church in New York City, he talks about the sacredness and God-ordained purpose of our work. He says, we are not to choose jobs and conduct our work to fulfill ourselves and accrue power. We are to see work as a way of service to God and our neighbor. And so we should both choose and conduct our work in accordance with that purpose. And he goes on to say that our choice in work is no longer what will make me the most money and give me the most status. The question must now be how, with my existing abilities and opportunities, can I be of greatest service to other people, knowing what I do of God's will and of human need. I think it's funny. I had this very conversation with one of my kids this week. And they said, must come from a ministry. What could I do to make the most money for our family? Must come from a ministry. No. I just think we have to be diligent to watch the effect of culture that wants to cheapen our work, which is, is a form of worship wants to cheapen our work to a paycheck or a means to an end. God has so much more for us. How about you? How are you using your God-given abilities to glorify God and advance the good of others? How are you connecting your work, your, your vocation, your service to others as worship? So we connect our work as worship. Secondly, we complete our work and lives in worship. This story in 
1 Kings 8 also happens in 2 Chronicles 7. And we read in the first three verses, when Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifice, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priest could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. When all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground, and they worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, He is good. His love endures forever. Just when the, all those craftsmen and all those stone carriers could probably feel really good about what they accomplished in building the temple, God shows up and shows off. And the holy men, the, the priests, couldn't even do their work because the presence of God was so thick in that place. Matt Redman wrote a song about this scripture a few years ago, Lord, let your glory fall. With the repeated chorus, you are good, you are good, and your love endures. Your love endures today. It's important to note they couldn't do their work. They couldn't continue. They couldn't make it about themselves in the presence of a living God. They were humbled They knelt to bow and worship. But notice the other element, being humbled in the presence of God. They give thanks, saying, he is good. His love endures forever. This is a phrase that's repeated throughout Scripture again and again, praising God for his goodness, for his love that never fails, that endures forever. This is what we know of the covenantal nature of God who covenants with his people He is loving. He is slow to anger. He's abounding in love and faithfulness. This is who God is. Not only are they humbled and bow in his presence, but they see the nature of God right there in his goodness and his love. Do you long for this encounter with God? When God, when we encounter the living God, we see his holiness, but we see his goodness. We see that he's for us and not against us. It's important to notice three physical movements or rhythms that happen in this worship. Solomon demonstrates three movements of worship. First of all is standing in praise. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in front of the whole assembly of Israel, spread out his hands toward heaven and said, Lord, the God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or in earth below. You who keep your covenant of love with your servants, who continue wholeheartedly in your way. His first position of worship is to stand and to worship. It's not human focused, is it? It's not amazement of the workers. It's amazement of a loving, holy God. Our family went last uh, Saturday night down to the cities to see Christian comedian Tim Hawkins. And I've seen him on videos. He's, he's really funny. But in person, it was so funny. He said he saw a church in Indiana, slow church ahead. He said, what does that mean? He said, you don't want to get baptized in a slow church. In the name of the Father. And of the... You get the picture. 
He says he goes to a hand-raising church. He says, who here is, does not go to a hand-raising church? And it's funny because we all know there's a tension, right? We, we want to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, but we get self-conscious. Or Are people looking at me if I put my hand up? He told his friend who was new to church, didn't know what to do. He said, just do the sobriety test. But we get that tension. We want to worship God with our heart, soul, mind, strength. We, we want to step out of ourselves and recognize this is God. He, he deserves all my worship to stand and to praise. And secondly, it's to kneel in confession. When Solomon had finished all these prayers and supplications to the Lord, he rose from before the altar of the Lord, where he had been kneeling with his hands spread out toward heaven. Because of God's goodness and our sinful nature, we need to come into his presence and to, to repent. Say, you're a holy God and I'm not. God, have mercy on me. I bow before you. I worship you. I kneel before you. So how do we learn these, these movements of worship, these, these elements of worship that encompass who he is and his holiness and his goodness? We stand and then we kneel. And we, we bring things into the light so more of his love can come, right? Confess your sins. He's faithful and just to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He just wants more of his goodness to enter in. And so corporate worship is a part of confessing our sins too. It's a wonderful opportunity to take advantage of altar prayer at the end and to come and say, I need healing. I need, I need to confess my sins. I need more of Jesus. The third movement in worship is sacrificing. Then the king and all of Israel offered sacrifices before the Lord. Solomon offered a sacrifice of fellowship offerings to the Lord, 22,000 cattle and 120,000 sheep and goats. So the king and all the Israelites dedicated the temple of the Lord. Worship is our response to an all-sufficient all-encompassing, loving, and holy God. It's all by God. It's all by his grace. It's all by the gospel of Jesus. But worship should encompass all of us in response. You've done it all, Jesus, but I come to you and I offer myself as a living sacrifice. Romans 12, 1, 12 chapters all of the grace of God, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but it's by grace you've been saved. Romans 12, 1, therefore, when you see a therefore in Scripture, you ask, why is it therefore? By the grace of God, therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. I was in Chicago this summer finishing up my spiritual direction program and we were doing a, a form of prayer, of, of body prayer. And the instructor just kept reading this verse, Romans 12, 1, over and over again. And just saying, just notice where God is pointing to you in your body to worship God. Where is the energy? Where do you, where do you notice Maybe something of pain, it may be something of shame, it may be something good. And I was led to praise God 
for my back. I was staying with a friend from high school who lives by the campus of Chicago. When I was in college, I went to visit him in Southern California in his college, and I woke up from that first night, my back tightened up. And for years, I struggled with a tight back. Ice and heat, ibuprofen, you name it. And God, in that moment of just worshiping him through my body, I realized, wow, God, you healed me a couple years ago. I want to worship you with my back. I want to worship you with all of me. We can praise God. We can confess our sins, and we can offer our bodies as living sacrifices because of his goodness. Finally, worship is the work that gives us true rest. 1 Kings 8, 56, Praise be to the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel just as he promised. Not one word has failed of all the good promises he gave through his servant Moses. Do you know this rest? Do you know this deep rest that comes an eternal rest. Hebrews 4, 10, and 11 speaks of an eternal rest we can enter now. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest. This is a rest we can enter in worship. When we cease striving, cease trying to do it on our own, we bring our work as worship. But then we humble ourselves and say, God, we can't do it. I'm a finite person. I can only do so much. You're an infinite one. I seek your eternal rest. I bow before you. We started today talking about the dignity we find in our work, but the greatest dignity comes in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We bring our work to him. And we take a good pride in that, but then we glory in the cross of Jesus Christ. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of salvation for everyone who believes. And then we say, I am called to give God my work as worship, but I'm also called just to revel in him, worship him, give thanks. How about we do that this Labor Day weekend? We just glory in him. We offer our gifts to him, and we receive the goodness of God. How is God calling you to connect your work as worship? Find a way to bring God into your work, into your daily life, maybe on the way to the outhouse. Find a way to practice those three rhythms of worship, to stand in praise, to kneel in confession, to go forth and offer yourselves and sacrifice in thanksgiving. Would you pray with me today? Heavenly Father, we've come here today to do some business, some serious business, some worship business in talking about our work. And we just thank you, Lord, how you have created us. Lord, you've created us for yourselves and you've created us as stewards of your grace and your power and your glory. And we just thank you for the invitation, God, to work on your behalf, to work alongside you, that you who began a good work will carry to completion in our lives. God, do it. Do it again. Do it for your glory. God, we just pray for your eternal rest. 
We just pray that we'd let down our striving. We'd let down the status or the striving to do things on our own. And we would do things for your glory and the good of others. That all around this community, that the places where we work, people would say, I want to work with that person. There's peace around them. There's goodness around them. We find God in them. And we bring church into our work and church into our homes and holy worship into our walk with you. Bless this Labor Day weekend, all for your glory. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.